Hey everyone, and welcome to the weekly sermon podcast for the Wilmington Church of Christ. I hope this will inspire you and help you grow in your faith as we see God move through His Word. Please stay tuned after to hear more about how you can help partner with us. Enjoy the message. We're starting a new sermon series uh, this week called Take God at His Word. And uh, there is a misnomer sometimes. Uh, We are reading this book as a congregation, each family. And uh, there is this misnomer that I am preaching on this book. That is not the case. Uh, I am preaching principles found in this book, preaching from this book. And uh, Dr. Hood just takes some of those principles and explains them very clearly in this book. And so we pass this out. We want uh, people to read a chapter a week um, right before the, the message. And I use, um, we're meeting uh, Dr. Hood in uh, his clarification uh, with our messages, so we're not preaching the chapters out of this book either, but I I do encourage you to read this um, just to explain what we're finding out. We always need somebody to explain uh, scriptures that are are difficult to understand. Some parts of the Bible are complicated, and we can read them for ourselves, and God has made uh, scripture is so very clear on what we need for salvation, and that is uh, faith in Jesus Christ, and so very clear how we obey in the gospel to confess with our mouths and believe with our heart, to repent, to be baptized. Um, he's so very clear about how to walk in the Spirit, but there are still passages of Scripture that are difficult to explain, and I always like it when great teachers uh, explain, them, uh, explain those passages to me. Dr. Hood does a good job in his book. That's why we want to give it out to every single family and make sure you go home with one if you don't have one already. I have uh, here a um, sculpture my, one of my children made for my wife. Now, if you were to get closer to this, it's hard to see. Uh, I know it's hard to see in the cheap seats back there, but uh, even up close, it's kind of hard to see. This is actually a sculpture of a snake. Now, my wife is uh, not a fan of snakes, um, she doesn't, enjoy, she's never had a pet snake, never desires to be around snakes, but one of my kids uh, several years ago made this sculpture for her, and uh, the other day, the dog was carrying this around in its mouth, and um, she uh, rushed, you know, we, we don't know what's going to be in the dog's mouth, hey, we got to take whatever is in there out, we got to reach in, grab whatever's in there, it could be soft, it could be hard, it could be uh, partially dead, we don't know what's going to be in their mouths, but this was in their mouth, and she said, oh, we got to get that out, that's That's something the kids made for me. If you were to come and and hold this and and look at it, it would be of no value to you. You wouldn't pay a dime for this. But because my kids gave it to my wife, it's valuable. It's valuable to her. You know, when we bring our offering and gifts to the Lord, um, He owns everything. Anything that we have, it's by His grace He has given it to us. And when we turn around with whatever we have, uh, value-wise... It has no value to the Lord, except when we give it to him, all of a sudden it has value. All of a sudden it brings a smile to his face. All of a sudden there's joy there. Just like a good father loves to receive a gift from his children, just like my wife loved to receive a gift from her kids. How can we get to that type of giving joy response with the Lord? How can we go there? I have have something else I want to show you. This was just given to me this morning. Um, Lucy uh, is uh, five or six years old. I can't remember right now. And uh, that's Nick's daughter. And Lucy and my wife have a really good relationship. And Lucy gave me this card to give to Miss Carrie, my wife. I said, Lucy, uh, 
my wife is out of town today. My daughter has a band competition out of town. They're, they're out of town. Don't you want to wait and give it to her yourself? And she said, no, I want her to get it today. You make sure you give it to her. I said, okay, no problem, no problem. And uh, I couldn't help myself. <laughs> I had to look in here. And um, from Lucy to Miss Carrie, and I pull it out, and don't tell her I did this. It's a thank you card. It's, it's beautiful. Inside, it's got a color page that she colored for my wife. And it has a note. It says, I love you. Thank you for the gum sending you hugs and kisses. Isn't that sweet? Now, this color page has no value. This card, other than the cost of buying it at Kroger, has no value. But because Lucy is giving this to my wife, it's going to be almost priceless. And you're right. When you say, oh, that is so sweet. It is. It's so sweet. And when Carrie gets this card, she is going to want to return the joy that this card has given her. She's going to want to hug Lucy and say, thank you for the card. I love you too. And she's going to want this joyful giving and receiving and giving and receiving that kind of joy in our giving. How do we get there? Because just like this gift has no real monetary value. When we take our gifts, our offering to the Lord, there's nothing in this world He hasn't created, but He has such great joy when He receives gifts from His children. When we give a gift to God, it puts a smile on His face and He has joy. The same type of, oh, this is so sweet, I want to hug you back, is the reaction the Father has when we give gifts to Him. How can we get there in our giving? I think every Christian can have joy in giving if we attach it to the right motivation. There are motivations found uh, in life that causes us to give, and I think some of them are good motivations, and I think some of them are poor motivations. And if we can get connected to the right motivation, we'll have that same type of joy in giving that my kids have when they give my wife a sculpture of a snake or when Lucy gives this card to her because she loves her. That same type of motivation. If we can get there, we'll have joy in our giving. Today we're going to look at the scripture, uh, mainly from 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 8 and 9. We'll hit 1 Corinthians just for a moment. Uh, we'll, we'll skip over, flip over to Philippians and Ephesians for a couple of passages as we explain these motivations. Uh, but mainly we'll be in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. If you want to turn there, you can now. But there are motivations for giving. I want to tell you, I want to start with the motivation that is um, the worst motivation you can use for giving. It's the motivation where you will have no joy in giving, you will receive no joy in giving, and I got to tell you, motivations matter to God. He writes in Matthew chapter 1, he said, hey, when you get to go give to the poor, do it secretly, do it quietly, don't let other people know what you're doing, then God who sees what is done in secret will reward you. He cares about our motivations. There were some that were uh, giving gifts to the poor to be seen by everybody. Hey, look at me. Look how generous I am. I'm helping these people out. God says, no, no, motivations matter. Don't do it that way. And in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, verse 7, he gives us this bit of Scripture to understand. 
Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. See, there is a motivation of giving, and it's called guilt. It is the worst motivation for giving. Guilt is the worst motivation. Now, it is a motivation, and some people give out of guilt, but this is the worst motivation to be used, and God cares about the motivation behind our giving. If you are ever guilted or compelled to give, this is the, um, this is part of, well, and let, let, me, let me explain another way. If you ever feel compelled to give and you feel guilty and you don't really want to give, that is the time to not give, especially to the Lord. If you feel guilted into giving, don't give. Unless you can give with cheerfulness and gladness and joy, don't give. We don't want to compel you, especially with guilt. Jesus never uses guilt as a motivator. It's a motivator that does not last. It does not have any joy in it. And um, it's a very weak motivator. And it won't lead to any kind of a sustained change. We use guilt type of stuff all the time. For example, for example, I uh, could say this. You know, we want to give and we want to help people. And every day you drive through Wilmington and you see people who are homeless and yet you do not stop and help them. That's guilt. You felt it, didn't you? A little bit? A little bit of guilt? That's not a good motivator for for heart change. It's not a good motivator for giving. It won't last. If I were to lay that guilt trip on us and we go out and we start helping somebody who is homeless, our heart's really not into it yet and it won't last. Our help will fade quickly over time. If we want to give that way, it's a poor motivator for giving. And so Paul says, by the, uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit, we should give with a cheerful heart. We should not give out of compulsion or reluctance. No one should give because you feel forced or guilted into giving. My mom kind of does this sometimes. I hope she doesn't listen today. We'll go home uh, over Christmas or Thanksgiving, and we'll eat, and we'll be stuffed, and she'll be like, uh, you know, I have all this food left over. Why don't you take some home with you? And then we say, well, thank you. It was really delicious, and we really ate all we could, and we we don't want to take any home. And she'll say, no, go on. Take some home. Don't you love me? (laughs) She doesn't say it in those words, but that's what she means. You know what we do? We take food home. But our heart's not in it. And it's good food. We love it. We just have a three-hour drive. When we get back, uh, we're, we're going to put it in the fridge. We're going to forget about it. It's still in there from last Thanksgiving. We know this is going to happen. Guilt is not a good motivator to give. There is a uh, next-level motivator that motivates us to give, kind of urges us to give, and it is obligation, a responsibility to give. Now, this is also found in Scripture. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7, Paul is talking to the church at Corinth, and he says, hey, you know what? You guys are really good. Well, let me read it to you. Since you excel in everything, Paul says, you're really good at this. Since you excel in everything, in faith, In speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we've kindled in you, 
Paul says, you're so, you excel in faith. You trust God with everything. This is so good. You excel in speech. You've changed your language. So now you're speaking love into other people's lives. You're telling people about Jesus Christ, how he died and rose again. You're reaching out in the community in knowledge. You want to go deeper in the scripture and understanding. Uh, you excel in complete earnestness and love. Your love is for real. He says, since you excel in everything, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. The command is to excel in our generosity. The command is to excel in what we give. If we give this amount now, later we should have this motivation to give more because we're commanded, obligated. We have a responsibility to give. Now this is, a, is an okay motivator. It's found in Scripture. We're commanded to love one another. We're commanded to give encouragement to one another. We're commanded to meet together in the name of the Lord and don't give up doing that so that we can encourage one another. And being obedient has a joy all in and of itself. If we're obedient to the commands of Scripture, there is a joy found there, but it's a limited joy if we're just doing it out of obligation. And if we, when it comes to giving, if we give because we're commanded to give, our heart's really not in it, then we fall back into that, uh, we feel a little guilty, we didn't give enough, and we, we, we're really not cheerful. If we're just giving out of duty, responsibility, that limits our joy and it limits our generosity. And there's this whole thing that if I give and I'm done, it's, my heart's really not in it, I can actually say something like this, I've done my part. I don't need to give anymore. See how that limits my joy and limits my generosity? I've already helped and served once already. I don't need to do it anymore. I've done my duty. I've done my responsibility. Responsibility is a good motivator because it increases our joy just a little bit because we're obedient to the commands of Christ. And we're acting like Jesus. So there is a little bit of joy there, but it's not the best motivator. If your spouse or your loved one was commanded, you must love this person, but you don't really love them, but you do it anyway out of duty, that's a, that's a duty kind of love. So obligation is a good trait to have. Fulfilling responsibility is a good trait to have. But it's limited. It can become legalistic. Limits our joy and our generosity. The third way to give, we have guilt, we have obligation, we also have urgency. Now this is the one where we ply on your heartstrings a lot. This is the one where we bring up uh, um, the commercial and they, uh, I will remember you. You know that commercial? And they got these dogs that are crying. You know that commercial I'm talking about? That's a heartstring. There's an urgency to it. There's a need-based giving. We do this in church all the time. There's a need for this to happen. And you know what? Wilmington Church Christ is fantastic. My church family is fantastic about seeing a need and then meeting that need with financial, with, with gifts of money. When we know that there's a need out there and it does pull on our heartstrings a little bit, we respond. We respond quickly and we usually respond with money. And sometimes we can even respond with a lot of money. Um, when I first moved here 10 years ago, uh, it, they, they were still the church was still talking about how um, DHL had pulled out in 2008. I came in 2010. Uh, somewhere along there, uh, the finances of this church had started to take a hit. They've had to cancel some programs. They had to cancel ministry. And the preacher got up. And I, don't, I don't remember what year it was. I don't know when it happened. And he said, hey, we have a financial hole we need to refill. And they took a one-time offering, and it, was just, it just uh, closed the gap. I, I think it was something like 
uh, maybe thirty or forty thousand dollars in one Sunday. It was just incredible. When, this church is known for when they see a need, then they go and fill that need financially. The, now, need-based giving is is in Scripture too. Um, Paul, when he's writing this letter to the Corinth church, he's going after a collection for the Christians that are suffering back in Jerusalem. And so he's going around to the churches and he says, hey, help out the, your brothers and sisters in Christ. There's a need. They're starving. There's a famine in Jerusalem. You can help. And so these churches started giving money toward this need. Uh, I'll, I'll read a passage of Scripture to show you what I, I mean. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. If I uh, go to verse 12, the service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. When you give to a need and you've lifted somebody up, you've fed somebody, you've clothed somebody, you've given them the, the name of Jesus Christ, they celebrate and they not only thank God, but then it overflows in thanksgiving to everywhere else. They're like, oh, God is providing for me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And you know what? That type of joy, it feels good. It feels really good. That is a good type of joy. It's not the best joy in giving, but it's a good joy. There's a weakness to this motivator, this need motivator. The, the weakness comes in, not everybody sees needs the same. I have, um, my wife and I, we've uh, supported a, a child out of Haiti. They do this uh, uh, sponsor a child thing month to month. You pay a little bit every month. And, um, and my cousin, who's a missionary in Honduras, they, his mission organization just started a sponsor the child. Now, both of them are good. And he writes me, he says, Dale, would you sponsor a child with our mission? Well, that's a real need. And yet, we're sponsoring a child out of Haiti. That's a real need. Well, one of those needs is going to trump the other. The, probably the one that we're connected to, the one we've seen pictures of, the ones that we have a relationship with, the one we know a name of, that's the one that's going to draw our heartstrings. Not all needs draw heartstrings. There's a weakness to going for need-based giving. Not everybody sees the same need. Can I give you an example? Like if we were going to uh, do need-based giving and we say we can uh, clothe and feed the hungry, that's a need. We say, oh yeah, we want to give to that. We can make sure Jesus' name is lifted up all over the world. Our missions go all over the world, um, lifting up the name of Jesus Christ. We have this school that we support um, that has people come to it in Europe. It's the only USA accredited university not in the United States, and it's a Bible college. And we have people come from Iran into that school, and they learn about Jesus, and then they go back to Iran and teach their people about Jesus. That's a real important need. That's an awesome need. Let me tell you a need that won't draw on your heartstrings. Maybe it will. Kind of low on the totem pole. In this facility, we need to repaint this room and the hallways. Comparatively, like nobody started jumping up and down. Let me give to that, right? Need-based doesn't really do it. In fact, I'm, I'm one of the types of people, I'm one of the types of men who doesn't ever see when paint needs to be repainted. I don't see scratched walls or holes in the wall that need to be fixed. Somebody has to point that. Now, some people are really good at noticing those things. I'm just not one of those people. Um, we have an interior decorator that comes to church here, and she's donating her time um, to tell us what colors we need to paint this room, what colors we need to paint the hallways. And I said, you know, I really don't see, I, I can't see, you got to show it to me. So she starts showing me, like, oh, yeah, I can start seeing it. She said, I've got something that you'll notice. I said, oh, yeah. She said, come with me. And she walked me over here to the women's restroom. I've never really been in the women's restroom. 
and there was nobody else here. We just had, and she opened the door and let me look in there, and I noticed. It's awful. The paint that they used in that room, whenever they built this building, might have been in style 10 or so years before the built, they built the building, before they built the building. And the border that's on the ceiling in there, I'm sure it was a lovely wallpaper border at some time, but it is not now. And for the first time in my life, my eyes were opened to a need for repaint. Has there any been any ladies in this room that have been in that bathroom and think it needs to be repainted? Okay. Okay, so look, you see the problem with need-based giving. Only some of the people see the need. Some of the people don't see the need, and some of the people don't care. There's no guy in here that cares whether the women's bathroom is painted right. And there's no guy in here that cares whether our bathroom is painted right. <laughs> but it is a need. It's just a low on the totem pole need. It's a low on priority need. Usually painting a room doesn't pull on the heartstrings like those dogs that are crying in the commercial. When you give because you see a need and you give into God's kingdom to meet that need, there is real joy there. Not only joy for you that you gave, but also joy on the person that receives. And then God gets the praise and glory. This is a great motivator. It's not the best motivator, but it's a great motivator. It's found all throughout Scripture. I love the passage where Jesus said, He saw them, they were like sheep without a shepherd, and He had compassion on them. They were in a need, and He went to meet that need. Last week when we talked about John chapter 6, and the disciples said, Jesus, they've been here all day learning from you. Send them home so they can get food. He saw a need. He said, let's give them what we have. And then He provided this miracle that fed everybody. Jesus gives out of need oftentimes. This is a good motivator. This is one we can get behind. There's some weaknesses to it, too, that we have to be aware of. There's two more uh, motivators that provide for giving opportunities. And I think these are the two best motivators that we need to connect to to have joy in our giving. Uh, the first is gratitude. This uh, fourth motivator is one of the best motivators is gratitude. This is where we see what God has done for us, and we see that where God has taken care of us in the past, and we really trust that he's going to do it again. And we are so thankful we can't help but give. The motivator for guilt is I have to give. And oh, do I have to? The motivator for um, responsibility giving, obligation giving is I need to. The motivator for urgency giving is I want to. But the motivation for gratitude is I can't help but respond with a gift. God has blessed me so much. He's changed my condition so much that I have to, I can't help but respond with a gift back. Now remember, anything we give him is nothing. He owns everything. He created everything. But when we give out of gratitude, whatever it is, when we give in the offering plate, when we go down and help at, at your father's kitchen, when we help with missionaries, when we volunteer our time over vacation Bible school, when we serve each other by holding the door, if we're doing that in the name of Christ, God looks at that and he thinks, oh, this is beautiful. I love that. I want to hug you like my wife is going to hug Lucy and thank you for the card. 
He loves it. It's like when, when my wife runs and she takes this sculpture out of the dog's mouth because she wants to protect it because it's precious to her. That gift that we give out of gratitude is precious to our Lord and Father above. And he talks about the gratitude that we have. 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 9. And, and here's, here's how gratitude works. God does something for us. We notice that he's doing it. Our condition has changed internally and maybe even externally. And we respond with thanksgiving. This is a great motivator. The, the limits are on it. Sometimes, oftentimes, most of the time, we don't see where God is blessing us. We don't see all the ways God is working the conditions around us to lead us to safety or to salvation or to grow our faith. Um, we oftentimes see hardships that hurt us as conditions that God has allowed us to go through. And whereas he it might be seeing it as growing our faith, while we're enduring it, we don't like it. And we don't want to even give thanks for it. Gratitude motivator, there are some limits because we don't see it oftentimes. But it happens. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, it talks about here's what God is going to do for us. Verse 8, God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Let me read that one more time. God is able to bless you abundantly. So God is going to give, and Paul's talking about a financial blessing so that in all well maybe not just financial maybe strength maybe energy but in all things at all times you'll have what you need so that you can abound in every good work let me follow it up in verse 11 you will be enriched in every way so that has to include finances so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to god now this is where the prosperity gospel the health and wealth gospel twists things the prosperity gospel, and it is a teaching straight from the pit of hell, and it will lead you astray. The prosperity gospel goes like this, and it uses these verses and then twists them. The prosperity gospel goes like this. If you give, you will get back. This is a half-truth, and half-truths are just as good as a lie. And every good cult uses half-truths to convince you to join them. Every good doctrine from Satan uses a little piece of truth that helps you believe and fall for it, fall for the lie. And this health and wealth gospel that if you give, you'll get back is a half-truth, half-lie, and it will lead you astray. It works like this. You'll hear somebody say, you plant a seed money and you'll get back a harvest. If you give a little bit of your money or if you give a lot of your money, you're going to get back more than you put in, so send me your money. That's it in a nutshell, and it's a lie. But it's based on this scripture that says if you give, you're going to get back. But here's the point, and this is the only thing I'm taking from chapter 1 this week of Take God at His Word. The principle of scripture that we can trust God in is if we give, we will get back, but it's so that we can give again. It's not so that we spend it on ourselves. James, the brother of Jesus, he writes, you don't get what you ask for because what you ask for you want to spend on yourself. 
God doesn't bless us financially so that we can go ahead and spend it on ourselves. He wants us to have this surrendered Thanksgiving attitude that every blessing that we, co- that we get financially, we can turn around and bless somebody else with food or water or clothing or love or lifting up the name of Jesus, supporting our missionaries and our missions and our, and our teachers. Something that lifts up the name of Jesus. If we do this in the name of God, he says, I'm going to resupply you so that you can give more. See where the twist happens? We give, we can do this, we can trust God on this. We give so that we can get, so that we can give more. Well, listen to the scripture. If you don't believe me, just read what it says. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Skip a few lines. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. You're going to give to get so that you can be generous again and this time even more so. Is everybody following this principle along? This is Thanksgiving motivation. God, thank you for giving me. I'm going to turn around and give it so somebody else can come to Thanksgiving and praise God. And then he blesses me so I can give more. I've told this story before, but I've got to tell it again. This is, uh, I saw this happen with my own giving. Um, year, a few years ago, I had it in my mind that I needed an iPad. Now, if you've heard this before, it's okay. Just stick with me. And my iPad desire became an idol of my heart. And so I started saving for a refurbished iPad. And I had some money saved up. And a friend of mine said, we have a medical expense. We can't go to the doctor because we don't have the money. And you know how much their doctor bill was going to be? The exact amount I had saved up for me. For my iPad. For my precious (laughs) And me and Jesus had this discussion, and he revealed to me that my iPad had become an idol. And when I took that money and I gave it to my friend, my desire for the iPad went away, and it was no longer an idol of my heart. Isn't that kind of cool? And the very next day, somebody from church said, Dale, I have an old iPad that I want to get rid of. You want one? And I said, whoa, God, yes. And I thought I was going to preach out of it, read out of it, and I did for a little while. And now you know where that iPad is? On the shelf at home. Haven't touched it in a while. But I did use it for ministry. I did put my library on it. I did study and research out of it. I used it for God's kingdom, and it came after After I released my desire for my own selfish needs and gave it up for God's kingdom, that's when I was resupplied so I could be generous again. That happens all the time, and God never does it the same way twice. I don't know how God's going to resupply you, but you can be thankful now that he's already planning ahead of time where he will supply you to be even more generous than you've ever been before. And this is a great motivator. It's one of joy And really, it's only limited by your trust in him. 
How much are you going to trust him to resupply so you can give more? There's one more motivator that's just a little bit better than Thanksgiving. It's nuanced. It's hard to see, um, but it's, it's there. Uh, Thanksgiving motivation, gratitude motivation, is what God has done for me and my own interior, internal condition and maybe my outside condition. He has done something for me and I'm thankful. There is one step beyond that, and this is the best motivator for giving. This is the praise and worship motivation. This is, even if my condition doesn't change, I'm going to praise and worship God because He is good and deserving. Even if something bad happens to me, I'm going to praise and worship God because He is good and deserving. This is right past Thanksgiving because this doesn't have anything to do with me. This is how good God is and how good He is to everybody in the world, not just me. This is the praise motivation for giving and this is the best motivation for giving when we reach this motivation for giving there is no limit to our joy and there's no limit to our generosity it just keeps increasing because we become more and more like the father we become more and more like jesus christ we imitate him more and more as we imitate christ who gave his all we praise god and we learn how to surrender and give our all. Jesus Christ, when he came to save us from our sin, and he died on the cross, he sacrificed everything. He left heaven in his glory to come to earth and take on the form of a human. He was 100% God and 100% human at the same time. I don't understand how it works, but that's what the scripture says. He did not consider something equality with God something to use for himself, but he wanted to use his divinity to help us. He surrendered himself completely. When we start imitating that, we take on the nature of the Father. We start taking on the nature of Christ, who is the exact representation of God. We start praising God for who he is, and we start sacrificing and giving our all. Our generosity grows. Our joy increases. Now, for some Christians, this happens immediately. This change within us to look more and more like Jesus happens really quickly, and we have this leap of maturity. And for others of us, like me, who's kind of dense sometimes, it's a slow progression of time over time to become more and more generous and more and more like Christ. Either way, it's Holy Spirit inspired and changed within us. He's the one that grows us to this type of motivation in giving. And so if you are not at there where you can't praise God because I don't, for whatever reason. You need to ask for more of the Holy Spirit to help you grow into that condition. I'll give you a reason why. And this comes from Scripture. I love these two examples. If we can remember like Jesus did, that God owns everything, has created everything, and if he doesn't have something, God can provide it, we're in the praise moment. If we get rid of all of our wealth expecting that God's going to resupply so that we can give away again, he can do that. And he has done that before. If we can get there, that's a, it's a, since God owns everything, it's, it's a world of abundance. We don't lack for anything. In fact, the shepherd will supply all of our needs. Remember that prayer we studied in Psalm 23 a couple weeks ago? The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Because he owns everything. If we can get there, uh, we start acting more like Christ. And I want to show you how Paul describes this. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. This is so, this is so key. Uh, verse 1 and 2, I'll read this out loud. 
Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Now, Paul is referencing fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. He's referencing an Old Testament sacrifice. There was about five different sacrifices in the Old Testament. They would put these animals on the altar. They would uh, cut the animals up in a certain way, and they would set the animals on fire. And this barbecue aroma would go to the sky, and God would say, that sacrifice is pleasing to me. That aroma is a good smell to me. I love this sacrifice. There was about three of them that were free will offerings. They just did it because they loved God. And Paul compares Jesus' sacrifice on the cross He loved us even though we were still sinners, even though we were lost, and he calls us and he dies for us in our place. He forgives all of our sins. He adopts us into the heavenly family. He gives us every spiritual blessing through him. Every blessing is yes. Every promise is yes through Christ. He does all of this because he loves us, and God says that is a pleasing sacrifice. The aroma is pleasing. It's a sacrifice acceptable to God. We following along? Watch how Paul describes offering. Philippians chapter 4, verse 18, Paul's in prison. They're sending him resources, money, basic needs, and he receives those resources while he's in prison. And he says this, I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent me. They are a fragrant offering. An acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Paul wrote both verses, inspired by the Holy Spirit. God says the sacrifice of Jesus is pleasing and acceptable to God. And he also tells us that when we give offering in the name of the Father, in the name of Christ, to help others, to bring about change in people's situation, to lift up the name of Jesus Christ, the offering we give is pleasing and acceptable to God, just like Christ's sacrifice was. That's pretty big words. To compare my meager gift to the sacrifice of Christ, how could I possibly give anything to compare? Paul says the gifts given are pleasing to God and acceptable to Him. This is where we've stepped into the praise area of motivation. What I give to God, He sees as good and as valuable as Christ's sacrifice. That's hard for me to believe. The only way I can understand that is when I see this letter given by Lucy to my wife, and I know it has no value, but because it's so beautifully given, it has great value, and there's joy here. Praise God for this. That's our gifts to Him. That's our motivation. Thanksgiving and praise. Gratitude and praise. That's where we got to go to. If you're not there yet, maybe somebody will call and give you an answer that would help you get there. If you're not there yet, you need to pray and ask God to help you get there. And he will. And a lot of times he'll do it through friends, making a phone call. He'll do it through the church, in our small groups. He'll do it through his scripture. He'll just reveal something you haven't seen before. He can bring about that change. We've got to ask for it. One of the ways that he reminds us of how good he is and how gracious we should be 
and how we can move even beyond what he's done for us to how he has done for everybody is we participate in what's called communion. When we participate in communion, we are looking at a real gift God has given to us in the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself, he meets with his disciples and he takes bread and he breaks it. And he said, this is my body. And he takes the cup and he says, this is my blood poured out for you, the cup of the new covenant. And he is giving us himself, the gift of himself in communion. And it's a reminder not only of what he has done for us, but that he is going to come back and bring us to him later. It's a reminder of what he, how he has taken care of us in the past and how he will take care of us in the future. It's a reminder that we have forgiveness in him and the gift of eternal life every time we participate in communion. The gift of Jesus given to us every time we gather together. As you take communion today, would you examine your own motivation for giving? Would you examine your own motivation for how much you give? And would you go to him and ask him for forgiveness where you failed, and he gives it to you instantly? For the change in your heart, and he will start that process to grow you to be like Christ, all during the time where we get to participate in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus called communion. Allow me to pray for us. God, I thank you for this time where we get to go to you and be changed by you even now spiritually. Spiritually, you are still changing us even now in communion. Would you help us and would you remind us that it is the gift of Christ that changes us? Lord, help us to live in that gift. Help us to go and meet others' needs through that gift of Jesus. Help us to be thankful for what Jesus is doing for us and through us. And Lord, help us to see how you are using Jesus all over the world to change lives. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If this ministry has impacted you, I ask that you would pray and consider partnering with us financially so that we could continue to minister here in our community and beyond. Visit us online at wcconline.org backslash donate to find out how you can be a part of what God is doing here. Thank you again for joining us, and I hope to see you back here next time.